0: So Micah, I'm going will read the first chapter together, and this is God's word. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear your peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked, I will make lamentation like the jackals, and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people. To Jerusalem, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Saphir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zainab do not come out. The lamentation of Bethazel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morsheth Gath. The houses of Axib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marsha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adulam. Make yourselves bald. Cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle. For they shall go from you into exile. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. I was reading an article this week where the author was lamenting the fact that in England and Wales, a recent survey by co-op funeral directors about people's favorite hymns for funerals resulted in actually not a single hymn being in the top ten. This made him very, very cross, and he was lamenting the fact that, that England and Wales were losing their bearings. And he told the story of how when he was a lad in school, everybody would gather in for assembly and they would sing all the classics and it was shared around the English-speaking world and everybody knew the greats like Amazing Grace and The Lord's My Shepherd and all the rest. And now, unfortunately, the top ten looks like this. Of course, number one is My Way by Frank Sinatra. Number three by Eva Cassidy, a great song. One that makes you cry, especially when the glens keep losing. Over the rainbow by Eva Cassidy. Bette Midler comes in at number four, Wind Beneath My Wings. Who doesn't love singing that when it's the wife's birthday and we're trying to be all romantic? Angels at number five by Robbie Williams. You Raise Me Up by Westlife at number eight. Number ten, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. So the author of this article was cross about that. And he said that it it made him really, really sad on what was going to happen to us as a nation. And then I got the very telling part in his article because he was very open and very honest, and he said this. I realise that many readers will say I am a dreadful hypocrite, since I have often written that I am a very bad Catholic who struggles to believe Christ's teaching and gave up regular church going longer ago than I care to remember. I'm not getting at that man, he's he's not here today to defend himself. I'm not going to write to him and give off, but I just thought that kind of sums up the problem. I'm really cross that the top ten hymns don't have a single hymn. They're, They're all secular songs. But as for me, well, I don't actually believe myself, nor do I go to church. It seems to sum up often what is true about our nation. And I'm not just going to point the finger at the English or the Welsh. Scotland has its troubles, as do we. It seems that even though we're many, many years on from when the prophet Micah prophesied, things have not changed very much. You see, as we go through this book, which perhaps is unfamiliar to most of us, I think we will see that the situation in England and Wales and Northern Ireland today was replicated back in Micah's day. He was a prophet who was prophesying and preaching in the days of the prophet Isaiah. As we've read the opening verses of Micah chapter 1, he tells us himself, that he preached during the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And as we will see in the coming chapters over the coming weeks, they were days of corruption, both at a state level and at a spiritual level. I didn't hear every sermon Micah ever preached, but perhaps he could have preached a sermon like the one that that article was all about. You don't know the old songs of faith, he might say. You've forgotten God's ways, he might say. you you don't take the worship at the temple seriously. You make carved items to represent God, even though you know you shouldn't. You've sold out to false gods and false idols. He, he could have said most of that and says some of that, and even at a state level. He talks later about the corruption that they find at the highest levels of society. It seems that the leaders are not very good, and as we talk later on in the sermon about Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, we will discover that that often the kings were the worst of all and we think about this day and age in this wee country of ours top 10 songs of funerals all secular poor leadership the nation going the opposite way from where it used to be back in the day when when maybe every schoolboy or schoolgirl could have sang with passion amazing grace the more things change the more they stay the same But folks, I don't know what John's sermon was all about. I'll go home today and read it. Then I'll be really sad that I didn't say half of it. But perhaps if we do read that wee sermon from wee John Brogan, who we pray God will bless him today as he ministers to his poor mother, maybe John would say the exact same things. Because in this chapter, even though there's much to be discouraged about, there is much to be encouraged about. And that is my prayer that as we get into this book that perhaps you've never read or perhaps you know nothing about, I, I would hope that maybe it becomes a favorite for you in your Christian walk. At times, Micah is difficult to read, but for me, it is always desperately encouraging. Because even though this was a nation divided into North and South, Israel in the North and Judah in the South, different capitals, different ways of worshiping, uh, different situations in both. And even though in the North Territory there was a military superpower called Assyria on the border, and even though there were arrogant and corrupt elites in in government and in the temple in both nations and both capitals, what Micah begins his prophecy by saying is that the Lord is coming. And he gives us a wonderful glimpse, for me, incredibly encouraging glimpse of who our God is. See, maybe you sat up late this week to to see who was going to be sitting on your particular council. Maybe you were counting the votes of your favorite party and wondering if they would get enough votes to keep another group out. And maybe your hopes were dashed when when you realized that your favorite didn't get elected and and perhaps things are just going to get worse in your council district. Well, Micah doesn't take us to earthly things like that. Instead, he reminds us of who our God is. In verse 3, he says, For behold... The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And he gives us this wonderful little glimpse in this little verse that our God is is not a God to be trifled with. That the God who we have worshipped this morning and, and we read his word and preach it hopefully with passion and enthusiasm, that same God is the same God of Micah chapter 1 verse 3 And when we hear the words that He is coming, that He is coming from His throne, He is coming down upon the earth to judge and to deal with all the problems that you and I face, well, my brothers and sisters, it should cause us to rejoice. In Psalm 11 and verses 4 to 7, we read a similar sort of thing. We read that the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And the upright shall behold his face. When you read verses like that, and when you consider once again, as the prophet Micah says, that the Lord is coming. Instead of terror for the believer, it should cause us to rejoice. Because as we watch TV and as we read the newspapers and as we shake our head at what seems to be the poor state of the nation, as we weep over the situations we see all around the world, the evil deeds that men do, the the situations in our highways and byways and even in our own town, and we don't know half of it. We we don't know the wives who, who got a good hammering last night when their husband came home full drunk from the pub. And we don't know the families in this town that are, that are held captive by, by drugs and by paramilitaries and by other dirtbags like that who still have such control in our territory. And when we watch those men who excuse the murder of a, ter- or of a journalist up in Londonderry, as we watch them saunter out of the high court looking like they, they'd have nothing in the world to fear, and you and me might look at all that and think, what's becoming of this world? a frightening place, isn't it? And you look at your wee buddies in the house and you wonder what sort of world they will grow up into. For the Christian, the simple four words that the Lord is coming cause us to rejoice even when we are stirring evil in the eye. You see, Micah, as we will see, was not just someone who preached about it and then forgot about it. The, the sin that he sees all around him causes him to weep. Later on in this passage, as we will get to, he laments over the state of the nation. He laments over the state of the the people and the worship and everything that's going on. But he says in these early days, in these early verses, the Lord is coming. And for those of us today who bear that name Christians, we call ourselves men and women of faith. We are saved, we are redeemed. However you describe yourself as a man or woman of God, well, the phrase, the Lord is coming, causes us to have confidence. Because we know that when the Lord comes, it is not in weakness. And it is not coming to, to try His best. He will come in power. You know, back in the day when I was still living at home, my mother always was the one who would discipline us. And often she would discipline us by shouting. Occasionally she would reach down the side of the, the wee cabinet and she'd have a bit of bamboo down there and she'd take a swipe at you. And if you were fast enough, you got away. And if not, you got it around the legs. And it often didn't hurt because we were getting big and we were bigger than her. And But you had to pretend it hurt. Because if you didn't pretend it hurt, then she would say, Wait till your dad gets home. And those were the words that you didn't want to hear. Because my dad didn't like to move too much. And so if you forced him to chase you up the stairs and cause him to move, then you were getting it. Wait till your dad gets home. You never wanted the situation to get to that kind of place. But friends, if you know the reality of that in your own life, and there's words that strike terror into your hearts, they don't compare to the words that the Lord is coming the prophet says what he is like and here is your God Eden Grove here is the one who we worship this morning and again this evening as we gather together as the church here is the God who we worship he is coming out of his place and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth the Lord is coming and the mountains we're told in verse 4 will melt under him and the valleys will split open the Lord is coming like wax before the fire, like like waters poured down a steep place. The mountains will just melt. The Lord is coming. And friends, can you imagine that? We live in this beautiful part of the country. We, we look up and all around us we see uh, the Mourn Mountains down the road. We see Sleeve Crew up the road. Back in the day when I was growing up in East Belfast, we could look across the city and you'd see Black Mountain over the other side of the town here Micah says, do you know what? When the Lord comes, even the mountains will melt before him. Sometimes I think as believers we, we get a wee glimpse of who God is and we're, we're happy with him being about that height in our imagination. We think that we know enough about him. We've got him all summed up. And, and often we can treat him as if he's a wee bit insignificant in our lives. We might pray. We might not. We might worship. We might not. Who knows? Because it's only God after all. And then we read a passage like this one, and we, we hear the words of this preacher, this prophet Micah, who, who spent about 30 to 40 years proclaiming this message under Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And he says, the Lord is coming. And you can imagine the people thinking, aye, aye, whatever. You, you said that 10 years ago. The Lord's coming, all right, yep, we'll get you, fair enough. And then he says, when he comes, everything will melt before him. Friends, our God is is not a God who is intimidated by the difficulties and problems of this world. He is not a God who is limited by the political powers of this world. He is not a God who shrinks back in the face of arrogant terrorists who think that they are fighting for Ireland by killing innocent journalists. He is not a God who is intimidated by any of these situations. And as believers, when we despair at the state of our country and our world, The words, the Lord is coming, should cause us to rejoice. You see, the Lord is coming, says Micah, and he is coming for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel, according to verse 5. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria, he says. And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem, he says. Both of these countries now divided were an abomination to god they the worship that was going on in samaria did not please him the worship that was happening in jerusalem did not please him and micah says the lord is coming and it is on account of the transgressions and sins of these people and they're not foreigners these historically you would say are, are god's people these are the men and women that he has brought out of the wilderness to the promised land everything was meant to be wonderful in this land and what happened they divided it. They split it up. The north had their kings. The south had their kings. The north worshipped the Norway. The south worshipped the Norway. And Micah says, the Lord is coming. And he is coming to deal with the issue of sin. And he is coming to deal with this land that is precious to him. And a people that is precious to him. But they have forgotten him. The Lord is coming. And I love it when I hear politicians and others getting on their high horses and saying, this is a Christian country we live in. This is a Christian country. And we can't have those Muslims coming in and changing it because this is a Christian country. And maybe you say to them, what's your favorite hymn? And they'll say, well, I like my way by Frank Sinatra. Folks, nothing's changed, has it? Since Micah preached and since we stand here today, We are a nation like this nation where the Lord, if he came against us, we would not know what has hit us. And indeed, I suspect even this great country of ours that we sometimes might like to think, oh, it's a Christian country. I I think we have come under the judgment of God. And what is the problem? The sin of London and the sin of Belfast and the sin of Edinburgh and Cardiff. The Lord is coming. The Lord comes to deal with those who move on from him and forget him. And one day, yes, he will come in power and all will stand before him. But I think as well, he moves in this day and age and he brings judgment on those who depart from him. And you can imagine Micah preaching this, can't you? It's not a popular message. You don't want to hear that in a street corner. You can imagine Micah crying out in Jerusalem, folks, the Lord's coming. Let's get things sorted out here. Let's let's return on to him. Let's repent of this The Lord is coming. And here's the warning in verse 6. He says, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. The Lord is coming. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. The Lord is coming. And in verse 7, all the carved images. Do you see the difficulty there? Do you see how Micah, this prophecy, he comes and he says, Here's the problem. All your carved images. All those things that you were told not to have. All the false idols that you've borrowed from other false religions. All that nonsense. The Lord is coming. And all those carved images shall be beaten into pieces. All those false gods are not going to help you. All her wages will be burned with fire. All the money that you've got and gathered up and all your riches. All the stuff that you think is going to protect you and... And help you against coming recessions or changes of government. The Lord is coming and all of that will be laid waste. And the Lord speaks of these people as, as, with language that we perhaps wouldn't share over the kitchen table this afternoon when we're speaking about the sermon. But he says, For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. And in the minor prophets of which Micah is one, when we speak of of prostitution we're often speaking about spiritual adultery how these men and women had known the one true god but then just had gone another way and had sold themselves like prostitutes to the worship of false gods micah says the lord is coming brothers and sisters as i've said for you and i because we have trusted in christ that it should cause us to rejoice that the lord is coming but it should also cause us to examine our ways and, and to return unto the Lord. To be men and women who realize that we do not live in, in, in a lovely wee bubble where we will never face the challenges that the world will bring to us, but to be men and women who are much in the Word and much in prayer, men and women who are passionate about the ongoing reform of the Christian church and if there are things that we have introduced and things that we stand on that are contrary to the word of God then we go the other way we return on to the Lord we don't read these verses and point at the world and say ah the Lord's coming, you're in big trouble judgment starts with the people of God and I pray that we will be much in prayer who are we and what are we what have we become what is it? Nearly 250 years on since Eden Grove all started. What have we become? Who are we today as the people of God or part of the people of God of Ballinhassig? But, folks, as you and I as believers, as we consider that, then especially brothers and sisters, I pray that those amongst us who are not brothers and sisters in faith. Well, consider these words. The Lord is coming. He really is. The Lord is on his way. Truly, that is right. And one day you will meet him and it will be before him in judgment as Christ sits on the throne and brings all who have ever lived before him. Or you will meet him tonight when you close your eyes and the Lord takes you. You will meet him in the days to come when you're walking down Sainsbury's and you're just Doing a bit of shopping, and suddenly the heart stops, and bang, it's all over. Or you'll meet him in 10 years' time when you've got a couple of years of retirement under your belt, but then one day a massive stroke causes you to drop and you do not get back up. Friends, today I don't say that to, to scare you. I say it because it is true. The Lord is coming. And the Christian can say those words with faith and with confidence that we will stand in the judgment, but but if you are not a believer, then may this Micah today cause you to remember that one day the transgression of your house will be brought before the gaze of a holy God who the mountains melt before. What is the solution to such difficulties? To lament and wail repent. You see, that is how Micah responds. And I think that's a challenge to us as well as Christians, because when we read these things, I hope it isn't with the finger pointed to someone else to say, ah, they're in big trouble. But when we're confronted with sin and the depravity of our nation and the sad situation in our fellowships where we're where more and more fellowships you hear about depart from the truth and and love the world more than they love the Lord? What do we do when we read lists of how people don't want to sing Amazing Grace anymore? They'd rather sing uh, You Raise Me Up or We'll Meet Again by Vera Lynn? What is our response? To lament. To cry on to the Lord. And, And brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you today to follow Micah. The minor prophets would would be men who would do these amazing things to catch the attention of people around them, to, to cause them to stop and to think. I don't want anybody to go down the street today stripped and naked, lamenting like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches in verse 8. But the next time we find ourselves lamenting the fact that our nation seems to be going down the tubes, what is the solution? To return on to the Lord. To lament our sin and the sin of our churches and the sin of our nation and the the people we live with and love to lament and to cry unto him that he would be merciful to us. Because brothers and sisters, here comes the encouragement. I know you are waiting on it. I know you are nearly out of polo mints, and you think, Scott, no encouragement yet. But here is the encouragement. See, the Lord's judgment says, Micah, is going to be intent. The final verses of, of this passage, they're, they're full of plays on words. And, and Micah runs down a list of places in this land, names of towns and cities that, that he uses to show the scale of the judgment. He mentions in verse 11, severe, which, which means beauty. And he says, you'll not be beautiful, you will pass on your way in the judgment and nakedness and shame. And then he speaks of Zion, which sounds like to come out and fight. And he says, "Well, well, actually, you won't come out and fight; you'll stay inside." And then he mentions Beth Easel, which sounds like to hold out, to stand firm, to to stand against the enemy. And he says, "You'll not hold out; instead, he will take you away from your standing place." And Maroth, which means bitter, and he and he speaks of how in verse twelve this bitterness. Will come, they will anxiously wait for good, but instead there will be bitterness. And Lachish, who, who are famous for their war horses, he says in verse 13, harness the steeds to the chariots, but it, it's not going to be to fight, instead it will be to flee. And Morshef Gath, which sounds like an engaged woman, he says, give your parting gifts to her. Because a new husband is coming, if you will. The Assyrians are on their way. Judgment is coming. And Akzib, which sounds like deceit, well, the kings might be looking for truth, but instead they will find deceit. And Marsheth, which sounds like conqueror, the Lord is sending a conqueror to them who will be Assyria. And the glory of Israel, all the leaders, all the kings, all the powers that be will come to Adulam to the cave where David found refuge and they will come there looking for refuge but they will not find it. And if you were from this part of the country all those names would hit you. You would know what they would mean and Micah would tell you that there's going to be no hope in the judgment unless we return unto him. See Micah preached in the days of Jotham in the days of Ahaz and the days of Hezekiah. And If you know the story of the kings of Israel and Judah, you will know that largely it was bad news. Even often, when it was good news, there was still mixed in with bad news. But but I am encouraged that that in this passage we are told Micah of Moresheth first one was preaching in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And in those three names, and in that progression, for me, I see much encouragement. See, Jotham wasn't a bad king. Jotham, we are told in 2 Kings 15, did right what was did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He put back things which had been removed and, and did good things in God's eyes. But verse 35 in 2 Kings 15, nevertheless, the high places were not removed. The places where the people were not meant to worship, Jotham didn't remove them. And you think, well, does it get better? Well, no, not really, not under Ahaz. He was an absolute abomination of the king. In Second Kings 16, we read that he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. He was an idolater. He was a man who, who had even burned his son as an offering to the false gods. And he still thinks, Scott, where's the encouragement? Well, here's this faithful ministry of micah preaching the word of god for 30 40 odd years and finally there comes a hezekiah in second kings and 18 we read that hezekiah comes and does what is right in the sight of the lord he removes the high places and, and he breaks the pillars and he cuts down the asherah and he destroys the bronze serpent that moses had made because the people had begun to worship it and use it for things that they shouldn't be He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him. He was a man who held fast to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him. But he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. My brothers and sisters, as we read this passage, it sounds like bad news. But Micah preaches this word. And the days of Jotham move to the days of Ahaz and they end up with the days of Hezekiah. The kingdom in the north is destroyed by the Assyrians but the kingdom in the south stands for many years yet. And why? I think we see it at the beginning of this chapter. Verse 2 Hear you peoples all of you. Pay attention, to earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. How do things change in a nation, in a town, in a house like yours? How do things change for your uncle who you love, but you lament over him because he doesn't love the Lord? How do things change in Northern Ireland? Will will Brexit sort it out? Will we be better when the border falls? Do we need more alliance? More DUP? How do things really change? And for you, brothers and sisters, and for you who have not yet made up your mind about Christ, how, how do things change? The Apostle Paul tells us how they change in the book of Romans. He says... Faith comes through hearing. And hearing the word of Christ. How do we respond to these dark and dreary days? Is it with terror? Is it with lament? Is it with sitting in your house hoping that it passes you by? How do things change? They change when we hear and listen and act on what God has said. Friends, today I am not discouraged by this passage. And today, even though things are not good for the church in this land, and today, even though as a nation it seems that we have moved on and forgotten all about the great God Almighty, who's been such a blessing to this land for many, many days, I am not going to lose any sleep tonight about any bit of it. Why not? Because Micah, Micah, which means who is like God, Micah, this week when the bad news comes and when the reporters tell you of how bad things are, this week when you read reports of always looking the bright side of life at your great granny's funeral, this week when all that sweeps over you, Micah, who is like our God? And this week, maybe you will join with me and pray for better days in this church and better days in this town and better days in this land as we listen unto God and return unto Him. And maybe one day, instead of a Jotham and an Ahaz, we will have a Hezekiah We will once again turn his people back to the Lord God Almighty. Brothers and sisters, do not despair today, but hear the word of God and know that there is no one like him. Amen. And we thank God today for his word.